Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. 
It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. What is going on, guys? Hope you're having an excellent New Year's. Uh, super, super excited for uh, not just this episode, but what we got going on in 2019. I hope you guys are really going to enjoy it. Can't talk a whole bunch about it right now, but we'll be releasing some new stuff as we go on throughout this New Year, so it's going to be really awesome. Um, today's episode of the Buck Report, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, actually, we're going to have our buddy uh, Richard Fought on uh, from Team Knocked Up. Uh, out in Arkansas uh, to kind of have him on, kind of give us a, uh, a report from eastern Arkansas of what's going on. But I really want to talk to him about his late season tactics. Uh, Arkansas has one of the latest, or really one of the longest seasons period in the country. Uh, their bow season goes from middle of September all the way to the end of February. It's absolutely ridiculous. But it's pretty awesome for opportunity. And we're going to talk to Richard today about his late season tactics. He hunts a lot of the big river bottoms in uh, central and eastern Arkansas. So we're going to talk to him about what he does at this time of the year, um, whether it's something different from what he did earlier in you know September, October, and November, or if it's the same stuff, or you know, just how he changes it up. Because uh, the one thing he deals with, which some of our listeners can relate with, some can't, is rising water levels uh, with these rivers. You know, The more rain we have, the more snow we get, all this kind of stuff. You know the rivers rise, and that you know changes deer habits, and you know also changes the habitat. You know very very quickly, so he has to adapt very quickly to what he's doing. So he's had a great year so far. Um, maybe not as great as he wanted to, but still got some time left. So we'll talk about that today as well. But uh, before we jump into that, guys, just wanted to thank everybody for all the support. Like Andrew said on the, uh, our last episode, what y'all have done for us and you know with us on this long journey, uh, which really isn't that long. Uh, we haven't even hit a year yet with the podcast. But just you know everything we've done for you guys and really just done for ourselves with this podcast has really you know amazed us on what was possible. Uh, we've really enjoyed it so far. 2019 is going to be phenomenal. Uh, and just want to say thank you to you guys. Also, I wanted to let you guys know we've had a ton of of feedback um, from on mostly on really on Facebook of saddle hunting. Now again, me and Andrew are extremely green to this. I've only been using my own, uh, tethered mantis for about uh, three months or so, um, and Andrew just has gotten his for probably a, a month. Um, but anyways, so we've done a couple videos. We're doing a video series on YouTube, which by the way, if you aren't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, you're missing out. Make sure you do that. But we're dropping a couple videos coming up pretty soon. already dropped one of our little saddle review hunting series uh, where we go over our full setup from saddles, climbing gear, uh, or climbing method, along with our uh, platforms that we're using. Kind of give a full review of what we've used so far this fall, how we like it, what we don't like about it, how it might fit into your needs. This kind of give you a good idea uh, from some guys that are you know new to this but have been using the equipment for a little while. So I hope you guys really enjoy that. So make sure you check out with that. Uh, we have our first video that we dropped, which was for the Tethered uh, Predator platform. Um, and I think Andrew's going to actually drop a blooper 
from that day where we did all these videos, it's going to be hilarious. I think there's a video of me swinging around in a tree about, I don't know, five feet up, six feet up, and it looked like a pinata. It was pretty fun. We had a good time. So hope you guys enjoy that. And with all that being said, guys, let's turn this interview over to Richard Fott. All right, guys, and on the line we have our buddy Richard Fott from Team Knocked Up. Richard, what you up to, man? Man, I'm playing with one of these saddles, trying to, y'all done talk me into trying one of these things out, so I'm trying to make sure it don't make, make my butt look fat. Uh, <laughs> hey, you and about four or five hundred other people that's been uh, messaging us lately about the whole saddle hunting thing, man, that's uh, that's awesome. I think you're really going to like it, especially your style of hunting. I mean, you can't go much lighter weight than that. I know you like your old carbon, uh, old man, but man... Uh, it's hard to beat a whole set that could be less than you know 10, 15 pounds. That's going to be huge for you. Well, it's not the, and it's not as much the weight, or it is, but it's just as important to that weight thing is the size of being able to just throw that in something small. And, you know, you take a day where I want to just go and, and, and look, and but I want that ability to be able to hunt if, if I find something really good, and Sunday's a perfect example. I got up Sunday morning with no intentions of hunting, just going scouting and because it was going to start raining later that day and I covered a bunch of ground and I found a spot that was just tore up with sign and hung a camera on it, found a tree for Tuesday because I was going to be able to hunt all day and, and got a tree that the wind direction was going to be right for, left it. If I'd had that saddle, I'd hunted that day. Mm-hmm. And 14 deer on that camera, I hung it at 1215 from the from 1 o'clock until it started raining at 415, 420, something like that. I had 14 deer in there feeding on that camera, and I haven't had a, I did not have a deer on it after that all the way, and I hunted all day Tuesday and didn't see a deer. And had I would, I had just been able to have that saddle and those hooks on my back in a small backpack, I'd have hunted that day. Now, there wasn't a deer on camera that I wanted to shoot, but the fact that I would have been able to hunt the real fresh sign that I found and, and being mobile and quick and easy in, easy out, makes it's a huge difference. I don't, you know, I don't know that it's ever something I'm looking at to go full term with. Cause I hunt so much all day long, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's definitely something that in my style of hunting, I, I can definitely see where it could be a, a, a huge benefit. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what I noticed. You know, I, I talked about all the time, you know, I was one of the large, biggest, you know, non-believers in saddle hunting. I thought it looked, I was like, it looks stupid. It doesn't look safe. doesn't look comfortable. It's not realistic. And then it all blew my mind after I used it for a little while. Um, but you know what I bought it for originally, cause I, I told myself when I bought it, I was like, I'm still using my lone wolf, you know, alpha lock on and sticks and everything. I'm still going to use that. I'm just going to use the saddle on days that I want to kind of, like you said, like, you know, I'm scouting, you know, kind of covering a lot of ground or just ground hunting in general. I, I killed a couple of deer this year off the ground with my bow and just be able to have the saddle on me or in my backpack with, you know, my climbing set, which I, I'm not using, I'm not really using hooks or spurs, but I'm using um, some silent approach steps, which are real small steps. They're about five pounds. They bunch up real small. And, uh, you know, I can just have that in my backpack and cover some ground. And when I find a hot sign, like, you know, you talk about all the time, just get up in the tree and, and hunt it. And uh, it helped me a ton. And then I started seeing, you know, more benefits to it in different aspects. But, yeah, I think it's going to be huge for you especially those days when you know you got to cover a lot of ground just throw it in your backpack you know grab your hooks and everything and get your bow and go and i think you're going to love it plus you know if you're using a canoe or a kayak, canoe or kayak man yep. nice deal. Just being able to, to jump in a canoe or a kayak and, and not have to worry about trying to dead center a, a big stand and a backpack and all of that i mean you know there's huge benefits to the style of hunting that i do and a lot of guys do that i just i see the benefits to it dramatically 
basically, whether you're hunting with hooks or, or and I may go to uh, sticks. I may not like the hooks. I've used hooks my entire life, but I kind of got away from them when my knees got bad, and they may put so much pressure on my knees that I can't use them. But I'm going to start out with those and, and see if I can. If I can't, then I'm going to get a set. I've actually got a set of hawk sticks that will work pretty good for me to, you know, to try out both options with. And I've got a platform. I, uh, Shay gave me a platform to uh, to try with it also, and I'm going to try it with the platform and without the platform. I'm going to try to leave those hooks on. So, and, man, this time of year, late season, which is what we're talking about or going to talk about, uh, I think the ability to be able to hide uh, with that saddle, be able to stay on the backside of a tree from where you think your deer is coming or you see deer coming and moving, being able to get a, get around and get behind that tree could be huge because it's just in a climbing stand or a lock-on stand or anything. You take a 200-pound-plus man that's, you know, 510 to, to 6'5", there just ain't nowhere to hide out there right now. Yeah. So I, I could see being able to stay behind that tree and, and, and still have the ability to shoot could be huge. Yeah, no, that, 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 that is the truth. That is 100% the truth. I mean, it's amazing because, you know, where you're hunting, you know, and we'll get to this in a second, you know, you hunting these big river bottoms and everything, you know, you're, you're looking at some big straight trees, probably not a whole bunch of limbs on for very, you know, until you're probably getting 30 feet up, 25 feet up in some areas. So, you know, there, there isn't a lot of cover, you know, this time of the year. So, you know, that is the one good thing about, you know, saddle hunting. Or another good thing about saddle hunting is, yeah, man, you get on the backside of that tree, you kind of figure out, you know, why you're scouting area, where you think the deer are coming in from, and you strategically place yourself where, you know, they're going to come off your strong side. If you're a left-handed bow hunter, they'll come off your right side. If you're a right-handed bow hunter, they're going to come off your left side. And you just, you know, sit there, and it's amazing. I mean, I had deer this year where I was hunting some public land and, you know, saw them and they kind of caught me off guard because they were coming off my side. I spun around the tree and they saw movement, but they looked up at me and I was behind the tree. I mean, I could kind of see them. I was looking past my my camera while looking at them. And, uh, you know, this tree wasn't huge. It was probably, you know, tw- you know, 12 inches in diameter or something like that. And uh, they looked at me for a second. And most times, you know, if you're in a stand, if they, if they catch movement, they look up at you, you're, you're probably screwed. And they look up at me. They didn't. They just, you know, sat there and whatever. And they start milling around doing their thing, just a bunch of old does. And I'm like, man, if I was on a freaking stand, I would have get my crap busted right then and there. So, yep, it's well, awesome. I, you know, something I've never touched on before. You talked about coming to your offside and being able to, to kind of figure it out with that saddle. When I always talk about I hunt the feed trees, I almost always eliminate that problem unless I want to shoot a deer before it gets to that feed tree or whatever because I, I don't I, mean, I don't ever know where the deer's coming from typically mm-hmm. I mean they're just coming you know they come from everywhere um, so I'm I set up to with that feed tree you know off the left corner of my stand uh, to give myself the most range to my left side which is my strong side and I, I just wait you know I just typically sit there and wait till they they get there no matter where they're coming from as long as they don't you know, I don't think there's any chance of them busting me. I just let them get to that, to where I know they're going. It's kind of like guys hunting privileged land in a corn pile. I know that deer's going to end up under this acorn tree in a few minutes. If I'll just be patient, he, you know, that deer is going to end up 25 yards from me, broadside, eating acorns. Mm-hmm. And with that saddle, man, I'll just be able to set up for that, you know, however I want to do it and be able to stay behind that tree and, and I think be able to position myself however I need to and when a deer starts coming in, or like you said, I think that pro, your profile is so tight to that tree. As long as that deer's not looking at you from a side profile, I, you're not even going to be seen. 
Yep, exactly. And that was one thing I was worried about is, I'm like, you're hang- I, I, this is me thinking before I use a saddle. I'm like, man, you're hanging off the tree. You look like an idiot up there. I actually talked to a guy today that he's like, man, you look like an idiot hanging in that tree like that. And I'm like, I mean, you kind of do. And then you get up there and you're like, dude, you look like a branch. Because unlike in a tree stand where you have all these right angles, which right angles are not natural. You know, having a flat platform, someone standing straight up, that's not natural. But when you're leaning off at like a 45-degree angle or 60-degree angle, you know, you look much more like a branch, like a broken-off branch like that. Especially, you know, you don't even have to necessarily be wearing camouflage, but if you've got a decent camo pattern, whatever, man, and you look like a freaking branch on the side of the tree. It's ridiculous. I mean, I've enjoyed the crap out of it so far. But uh, I know people... I was gonna say I know people didn't come and tune into this episode just to hear us ramble about saddles because we do that all the time, anyways. <laughs> but uh, let's kind of jump into this. You know, Richard, we got you on. You know, not only to give us a little, you know, idea of what's happening in your side of Arkansas, you know, that eastern side of Arkansas when it comes to this deer activity, but also, you know, just overall late season tactics. You know, a lot of guys right now, you know, like Tennessee, we're dying down. Our season will close in about three to five days. Uh, at least on public land, and then there's a doe season on private land for the next week. But uh, in Alabama, you know, we go into mid-February, 10th of February, you know, a couple other, you know, states are either slowing down or we got about a month left. Um, You know, some guys haven't tagged out. You know, I've I've seen a lot of people that do struggle this year. You know, when it comes to you, you've you've killed one deer this year, one buck this year. You know, you got one more tag with you. What are you doing this time of the year to try to find and locate you know, a good deer on public land, or if you're hunting some privileged land, you know, kind of what do you do in this time frame, especially in your region of the country where you're hunting, you know, large river bottoms, you're hunting, you know, big timber and stuff like that. You know, what are you doing to try to locate these deer? Man, food source, food, food, food. You know, you're going to hear me. I beat it to death. And it really doesn't change ever for me, whether it's October or or February, I'm on some type of food source. Now, how I hunt that food source changes a little bit from whether I'm just going out to shoot my does or whether I'm actually trying to to kill a, a, a mature buck deer. And whether in, in your food source is it can be anything. I mean, it can still be the red oak acorns falling. A lot of people call them nut olives. The red oak acorns falling. Uh, it can be overcups that are still in trees. Guys that are you know in any type of little hill country where White oaks and post oaks are prevalent. Uh, your post oaks, the deer are really eating post oaks right now. And a couple of WMAs that I hunt that are you know higher ground, wanting saw for one, hunted it this past weekend, and, and the deer were just devouring post oak acorns. Um, if you don't have an acorn crop, and ours has been real spotty this year, honey locust pods have been real big for us. We're, we're finding a lot of deer on honey locust pods. Um, we're finding, you know, anywhere there's briars, there's honeysuckle, um, any type of a cut bean field. Cut bean fields have been huge for us. We're, we're having to hunt more. We typically don't hunt the edges of public ground. We typically try to stay as dead center as we can. Um, we feel like the, the bigger, older deer stay away from the, the, the private ground during daylight hours as much as they can. We feel like you know that we get less pressure from people the deeper we can get in. But this year, our deer have all been filtered out to the but we've got deer traveling a mile or farther to get to cut bean fields or what was standing beans. And that's not typical for us. Typically this time of year, we're strictly on red oaks over cups. And so we've had to change a lot. This year, water's come up and went down several different times. It, it's completely flooded our areas and it's dropped plum out of them, which is shifting our deer a lot. Um, and I've, I kind of got stuck in hunting 
uh, a couple particular deer. I got on two real big deer this year, and, and I try not to do that. I, I really try not to pitch and hold myself, but I've got one deer that could be a potential state record in Arkansas, and I just could not make myself let him go. And, um, you know, I may end up eating a, I may end up eating a buck. T- I won't eat a buck tag because I'm in the, the TNU challenge. For my team, I'll end up having to shoot a three-year-old or something if I have to. But, um, man, we're – that's what we're doing. I mean, you know, you – I follow – people talk about trails all the time. I'll, I'll take a trail, find a big trail, I'll follow that trail um, to towards where I think the food source is, not the bedding area. I don't really care where the bedding area is. Uh, I want to be as far away from that bedding area as possible. Um this time of year, I just I'm trying to stay, you know, away from deer. And we find so many deer in these open bottoms this time of year. The thickets just really aren't thickets. These deer are bedding more out in the big overcut flats in the wide open woods than they are in the thickets because they can see now. They can see so far that they feel more comfortable relying on that sense of protection. I think out there than they do laying in the in the actual thickets now. Uh, we jump and find beds all over the big overcut flats. So in our minds, we're trying to hunt the downwind side of overcut flats and find red oak trees, overcups or something, you know. And like I said, briar patches, beans, you just have to honey locust. You have to go in your area, your specific area, because it's all different. I'm hunting three different places, and all three are different. And But you have to go in and find, okay, what are the deer feeding on today? And you have to hunt that. And two days later that may change and i you know i was telling you a story earlier about or I may have, we may have been on here i don't know about the sunday's hunt where i went in scouting and and found a huge amount of sign actually posted it on the page and hung a camera on it with intentions of hunting it tuesday and i very very seldom do that because of this reason hung that camera at twelve fifteen. i had 14 deer on that camera four bucks between one o'clock and four fifteen, four thirty, when the rain started sunday and not another deer after that. I set that stand 12 hours Tuesday and never saw a deer out of it. And when I got down and pulled the camera and looked at the sign, it was gone. I mean, they had not been back there. The, for whatever reason, they didn't come back. And Well, I was going to say... So you have to find it when you find it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that I think is very different when you're hunting, you know, large river bottom areas and big river bottom units. Actually, we're going to be up in Kentucky this weekend, not deer hunting, but small game hunting with Kevin Murphy from Meat Eater. Um, and we're going to be hunting some real big river bottoms. And I'm going to do it while we're up there. I'm going to scout for deer while we're doing this and kind of get an idea of, you know, what deer the activity looks like for this year. Now, it could be totally different next year. And I know you're all about, you know, finding the most recent sign. So not necessarily what's happening this year is going to affect on what's going on next year. But um, Well, your areas, your areas will will stay the same as far typically now. I mean, if you've got deer, you know, and I don't want everybody to, to misconceive what I'm saying about not scouting this year versus next year because your deer will typically be in the same thickets around the same areas but you may kill them off of the you know the southeast corner of it may be hot this year and the northwest corner of it next year you know i mean it's it's mm-hmm. different than how uh, if i'm not mistaken red oaks drop every other year so if, for us red oaks is the big thing that's the that's the that's the bank here and so you have to find those red oak trees that are dropping and Whenever red oak tree is dropping, you can find that specific group of trees that, for whatever reason, the deer like better. It's kind of like us in restaurants. You know, there's a thousand restaurants out there, but us as individuals have our favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Now, also, when you're hunting these areas, you know, you kind of talked on, you know, finding the hot food source and this and that. But, you know, kind of explain to us and the listeners, you know, how you go about, especially with rising water, you know, this time of the year, you know, if we get big rainstorms or snowstorms, whatever, you know, rising, changing water flows, you know, that affects the deer movement of where they're at, you know, located. But, you know, how are you going out? and you know finding these food sources i mean it, i know you cover a lot of ground but kind of give the listeners an idea you know if you're going to a spot say you haven't been to an area in a, in a little while you know how do you go about hunting a spot uh where maybe you don't know exactly what the deer are feeding on how do you go into a situation like that to try to find those deer Man, jacob i made a post on the tnu page i may have shared it over here i try to share some of the some of the, the the good stuff i try to share over on y'all's page also um we got into a, a point this year to where we were chasing our deer, and we was. And what I mean is, the water was rising so fast that our ridges was going under. Sometimes while we were sitting on them, so we had to change everything that we do. And we we were successful. Um, um, my buddy killed a real good buck. My nephews killed two bucks in the last seven days, I think. Um, and I've had countless opportunities of killing. You know that 100 inch to 120 inch deer and it's just not what I'm after right now but the opportunities are there um we had to stop trying to find MRS we had to do everything different and we had to just go and say okay we were the deer the deer in our woods we were hunting were moving west they just seemed to be moving west with the water so we just started getting two ridges ahead of them uh ahead of the water and we did that for four days um and it worked. My buddy killed a 150-inch deer, a really good deer. Um, my nephew killed a couple of deer. Another buddy of mine missed a deer. We had, you know, all bucks, and we could have killed, you know, it's just 40. We're seeing 40 does. A lot of times, you know, 25, 30, 40 does a day. Um, and that's all we're doing. You can't get out and scout these ridges because this ridge may not be. We don't really know how big this ridge is when we come up to it. We, we stay on the downwind side of it as much as we can we slip into it whether we're in waders hip boots whether we're in a canoe or kayak however we're having whatever it takes to get there um a lot of times we're putting our equipment in a, a little old duck sled and we're dragging it behind us while we're in waders so that we're real quiet but our stands are not on our backs and we're slipping into an area and we're just climbing up and getting you know dead center of a, a ridge at 75 80 yards and and just hunting that ridge because the deer are doing the same thing we're doing they're trying to find food. They don't know where it's at now, so they're looking. So you're just kind of you're just kind of getting in there and and hoping that they get on that ridge that you're on. And honestly, that sign I found Sunday is the first sign I found in two weeks to where it was like that. Um, we've just been ridge hopping, and now the water's fell out, and you're starting to go back to find stuff like that to where now we can get back to finding food and stuff. So. You know, it, 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 it changed a little bit for us. It had been nice to have, and, and I'll tell you this, we were staying between the deer and cut bean field. Our deer, like I said, it, it, we, we figured out about three weeks ago that our deer were all going to a cut bean field. And now this is what we do. I mean, whether, you know, some people agree with it or they don't, it's what we do. We have guys, with, we have buddies that fly, whether it be our military buddies, whether it be guys that have planes and we go straight to them and, man, here's a hundred bucks, buy you some fuel, we need you to fly this block of woods and we need you to tell us what fields have beans in it because that's the very best hundred dollars you can spend. Um, you can't figure that out any other way. I mean, if you can get access to somebody that can get in the air, have them fly your area, 
area, if you know that, you know, wheat, beans, something like that, get them to tell you, okay, this is worth that, show you on a map. And that cuts your scouting time in half. And when you've got rising water, um, you just don't have that time. You don't have that luxury. You know, now it, it, it's whatever it takes to, to get ahead of these deer. And we had three or four really good days, and then the water fell out. And now we're back to chasing deer. You know, I we found a whole lot of deer Wednesday. What's today? Thursday? Mm-hmm. We found a lot of deer um, yesterday. Uh, found another big group of deer, and I'm actually moving. I'm changing refuges or WMAs. I'm changing, going to another one. We found some deer. Um, just one of my late season spots. There's some standing beans. Some guys didn't get some beans out and had a pilot tell me where they were at. And, you know, we're headed. We headed in there and looked around, and they're there. I mean, there's a ton of deer in there, so we're going to get in there. I'm headed in. I found them actually. It's a spot that I've tried to hunt a lot over the years. It's almost impossible to hunt. And you guys that use lock-ons, I, I commend y'all. I hate them with a passion. I've got a dozen. <laughs> I've got I've got lone wolves. I've got MU-100s. I've got everything that there is out there. Everybody tells me this way, this way, this way. I, I cannot put one up in less than an hour and be quiet and not be war slap out when I get it hung. I am the worst person in the world, I guess, that <laughs> I ain't going to lock on stand. And so I hate taking them in, so I've always tried to stay in my car an old man or something. And, I'm fixing to make a post online. I'm, I'm, I'm fixing to try another stand out that um, I, I've hunted out of twice now. And I'm really starting to lot, and I'm gonna break it over on my page and let everybody see what it is because everybody just kind of gets a kick out of me. And <laughs> and when I go something different than my carbon old man, but the and I'll tell you this about the different. We're we're talking about what I'm looking for. Um, that's what I'm looking for: is food sources. Always food sources. Um, you cannot go wrong. There's a thousand ways to kill deer, and we all know it. None of them's wrong. If you've got a way that works for you, it's a great way. If you are a hunter that doesn't know anything about deer hunting, don't know bedding from non-bedding, don't know uh, trail running east from west, don't know anything, the one thing that I can tell you you need to learn before you worry about learning anything else is in your area, learn what your deer eat, your preferred food source as far as mass crop, and learn those trees. It amazes me, the guys that I take hunting that does not know the difference between a red oak, a white oak, an overcup, a post oak, a honey locust, um, a pin oak. I don't know how anybody can have hunted for five years and they don't know what they're, what they're after eating. Um, they just know they eat acorns and they're out there looking for acorns. They have, they don't, you know, when I'm scouting, I'm not, I'm not looking at the ground. I'm, I'm scanning the woods for the type of tree that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, if I know their own red oaks, I'm scanning way ahead of me and I'm looking for the, the red oaks right now. A red oak has got leaves. If you can find a red oak tree right now that has leaves, there's a good chance that red oak is carrying acorns. So I'm walking through the timber looking as far as I can for big red oaks that have acorns and that's where I slip to. Um, if I know, and, and, and you learn where those trees grow, so you're not in a you're not in an overcup flat looking for red oak trees. Um, or if they're eating overcups, you're not on a red oak ridge looking for overcups. Um, you know, you need to differentiate uh, what they eat and be able to recognize that when you see it, and, and know where to go to find it, so that you're not wasting your time out there looking in the wrong spot. Now, also, Richard, you know, this time of the year, you know, it being later season. 
you know, when it comes to accessing, you know, different areas, whether you got to use boat, whether you're parking the truck, you're hiking in, whether you're using waders, hip waders, whatever happens. I mean, are, are you taking, you're focused on food sources. Are you taking consideration when you're doing these your different entry routes? Do you ever change it up or do you do the same entry routes most times? Or how often are you hunting a certain location until you go to do something else? I mean, is it until the sign just disappears or you don't see what you're looking for? You know, how do you go about doing all that? Man, I, I very, very seldom hunt the same spot twice. Um, I just, I, I believe that you see less deer every time you hunt it. Now, I know a lot of guys hang a stand hunt out of it all year and they, they eventually kill a deer. And people that have that patience, um, that's great. You know, I don't have any problem with how they hunt. I just, I'm not that guy. I sat all day Tuesday, and by 2 o'clock Tuesday afternoon, I was mad because I hadn't seen a deer that I was ready to throw my bow out of the tree. Um, to me, not seeing a deer from my tree is me failing at my job, and I don't like to fail. Um, I, I never hang a tree, ever. Every time I'm in a tree, I will bet you, I would. I will bet anybody, every time I go and hang in a tree, that... I will have a deer in bow range, and I'll bet you $100 every time I go out. I'm that confident in what I do. And when I don't, it doesn't happen, it bothers me. So I feel like the second time, third time, fourth time, your chances go down dramatically because you you, you cannot get in and out of an area without making a racket, especially if you are if you set till dark and you have to climb down and walk out when that them deer are up and moving. So I try to – now, I may not be – two or three hundred yards from where I was, but I try to move around. This year's been really difficult because we don't have the food source that we typically have. We just don't have it. Uh, and I did find, I figured it out the other day, we do have some acorns in the cutovers uh, where they left big acorn trees. So I'm, now I'm kind of shifting to that type of area. But access into these areas, I always try to, I try to stay away from where I think the deer are always, no matter how far I have to walk. I will not walk through my deer. Um, you know, I man, I'll walk two miles when the shortest route is three tenths. If if my deer are coming from that area, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to walk through my deer. And when I go in, people think that I think everybody's perception is is I'm balls to the wall. I'm walking as fast as I can walk, and I'm covering as much ground as I can cover, and that's not what I'm doing. Now, sometimes I I know that I'm not going to start looking until I'm three-quarters of a mile deep. I know where I'm headed to, so I may walk six-tenths of that. I may just walk, but then I stop, and I slow down, and I pick a tree 20 yards in front of me, and I sneak to that tree, and I, I look, I watch, I listen, and, you know, I may stand there 15 seconds, or I may stand there 45 I pick another tree and I sneak to that tree and you know I do that till I get to where I'm going or till I find what I'm looking for if I see deer milling around in an area um I either let them go I stand still I stay behind a tree I stay hit I stay quiet um if it's not something that I want to try to stalk or shoot uh I do not want to spook those deer uh, under any circumstance Uh, I'll back out I'll leave I've actually left before and went completely somewhere else because I had deer up feeding that I couldn't get around and they weren't leaving um, or they bedded down. You know, I'm not going to spook deer and have them run. The chances are, if you spook deer, where's he going to run? Where are they going to run? They're going to run right where they came from, right through the other deer. Mm-hmm. And you got a, a five year old boy. 
probably not going that way this afternoon. It's it's like if me and you and and two of our buddies are all out in the crowd, and and I'm I think I'm as bad a guy as there is. I ain't scared of nothing. But I promise you, if y'all three take off running, my ass is running too. <laughs> um, I don't know why, but I mean I'm gonna run with y'all until I figure out why we're running. I'm running. And I think deer are that way, you know. I mean, and I don't want to spook ducks. I don't want to spook. I don't want squirrels chattering at me. I don't want blue jays calling at me. I want. I don't want crows yakking at me. I don't want anything that gives an alert signal, uh, seeing or hearing me, because I think that affects my hunt. And being quiet is the one of the biggest. And, and right now, it, it, it's escalated because anybody that turkey hunts knows what I'm about to say. You take the foliage off of the trees. Uh, early turkey season before the leaves get on you can hear a turkey a mile away let it get full foliage and you can't hear that turkey 300 yards Mm -hmm. and it's the same way with us as hunters now one ding on a metal stand a deer can hear that three four five hundred yards and it's an unnatural sound does he know that it's my fat butt trying to climb a tree i don't know but what i do know is that he knows that it's an unnatural his domain, his house. I mean, if you hear if you hear a glass rattle in your kitchen and there ain't nobody else in your house, uh, something's up, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you hear the chain on your door rattle, something's up, and, and he knows that too. So I try to be as dead silent as I can with in and out, my access getting into a tree. And if I make a, if I make a couple of dings, if I if I hit metal twice, if I make a, an unnatural noise twice, I'll move. I'll actually move. I may not move a hundred yards, but I'm not climbing that tree. Um, and I take, I think that being able to take or, or taking the time to make sure everything that on your stand or your equipment, your setup, whether it be a saddle, uh, I can already see ten things that I will change about the saddle because they click clack and there's noise, and and I can't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want dead silence. I want everything to be quiet. Uh, I don't want a deer. I don't know how many times I've climbed a tree and had a deer a hundred yards from me. Uh, you know, be, there'll be a deer laying a hundred yards from me, stand up later or whatever. And and that's important. Um, man, when we're accessing areas, we we're using hip boots. We're using waders. We're using canoes, kayaks, boats. I mean, mud boats. I mean, I'm you know. Um, whatever it takes, long tail boats, whatever it takes to get to an area. Um, and it changes daily. I mean, we, we show up a lot of times and we showed up over there Sunday, um, with a 1542, the 25 that we'd been running, we'd been running all the way in and being able to walk a half a mile to where we was hunting. We hung that boat up. I mean, hung it up, had to, had to, had to get out in the water, get it off the log and the cypress knees dock it on a bank and walk across a muddy field to get into the woods where we're hunting. I mean, it was, you know, an extra, golly, six, seven-tenths of a mile. Well, when I went back in there Tuesday, I could only get, I couldn't get that far. I had to walk about an extra mile to get to where I was going. Um, So you have to be willing to adapt and change. Um, You can't, you know, most of us do a little bit of everything. We, You know, I have waders because I, I duck hunt. And I have to use them deer hunting. So I buy a pair of waders that I can do both in. I'll buy three mil waders. I can duck hunt in them comfortably for a couple hours. Um, you know, I may have to put one layer more clothes on under than the guys that are wearing the big souped up waders. But I can take that pair of waders and walk a half a mile in them. Mm-hmm. Um, my hip boots, I take and cut off an old pair of waders. And I cut them off as high as I can so that I get every inch of, of height that I can get out of them. They're comfortable. They walk good. They hunt good. 
that's what I do for hip boots. Um, our kayaks, we kind of, you know, set up, we we, run, we use one-man kayaks. The uh, I think it's the, uh, the 119 Old Man Discoveries is what we really like for our canoe. Um, it's a uh, it's a one man canoe. It's eleven foot nine inches long, and you can you can get your gear above one man, and it, and it, and it handles really well. I, 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 <laughs> I'm not a kayak guy. I've yeah. got one, and mm-hmm. I'll just tell you this: I avoid that thing at all costs. Uh, I'm not a kayak guy. Mm-hmm. I just I just ain't. Um, we use them. Uh, I use mine more to put my gear on and pull it into a spot behind me, walking in waders, than I do anything. Um, it's a little narrower than a duck boat. Um, mm-hmm. or a duck sled um, but anytime any of you guys that are trying it to hunt in water remember this it's a lot easier if you're in water if you have a long distance walk in water whether it's it, it, it's knee deep or whether it's <clears throat> waist deep or whatever you're walking in hip boots or waders if you can the majority of that distance if you can put your stuff get you a duck sled get you a $50 one of the duck sleds put your stuff in that duck sled and just man that thing will pull behind you or a kayak a canoe anything it'll pull behind you just just it'll just glide behind you it's dead silent and if you come to a little old ridge man you can just walk pull that thing right across that ridge and right off in the water on the other side and it takes that all of that you're already walking in water in waders or hip boots it's already harder it takes that weight off your back if you get in water deep enough that it can come up with waders and get your stand wet your equipment wet you know all your stuff's packed in and if you kill a deer you've already got something to pull it out in so mm-hmm. um those little things are really handy in the water yeah no that's smart and that's one thing uh i was, I was gonna mention earlier that one man uh the old town uh one man canoe i've looked at those and man they are sweet they are yeah that 119 discovery is the if you're going if you're looking for a one man and if you're if the majority of the time you're hunting by yourself i recommend you get that and and I recommend, I almost recommend, we did it because we didn't, it's so hard hunting with equipment in a boat to keep it balanced, getting on cypress knees, the two people doing the same thing at the same time. We were rolling so many canoes with two people in them that we all just got our own. And we have, uh, you know, 100% less rollovers now. We very seldom roll one now. Uh, typically, if we do, it's when one of us is trying to get in or get out, our old butts get hung up and you know, get hung up trying to get in or get out. <laughs> but that, uh, the, you know, the key, the man, the, the biggest tip that I can tell you about one is never try to get out of it in water. I mean, get it up on the bank, uh, right next to the bank. Use your paddle on the on the deep water side to hold it while you get out. But tie your equipment in your canoe. Uh, don't don't take the chance of rolling that thing in in seven, eight, ten foot of water and your stuff not being tied. And then you're back out there at some point in time looking for your stuff. Just Take your rope and tie it to it, bungee cord it to it, whatever you have to do, that canoe's going to float. If you roll it, your stuff's going to all get wet, but you're not going to be searching for it. Yeah. Um, and carry an, extra, carry an extra light on your head, carry an extra paddle. Inevitably, you're going to let that paddle slip out of your hand, and it's amazing how far a canoe paddle will glide with it just sliding out of your hand. And inevitably, your light's going to get jerked off your head by a bush, and you're going to lose it. So... Carry an extra light, carry an extra paddle. Uh, that's two things that's going to save you a lot of heartache one night coming coming out, I promise you. Yeah, and another thing I like about those uh, one-man canoes, uh, I know Old Town, they have a couple different models, that 119 or 1119, whatever it is, and, uh, you know, different chair designs and stuff like that. And, I mean, they are just sweet-looking, you know, super mobile. I, I forget what the weight was on, but they're they're. Well, 40 I, pounds, 40 pounds, I think. Yeah, it's, but, uh, it's, un, it's yeah, insane. Get your kayak seat. Buy you a good kayak seat 
and put it in that thing and, and man, you're good to go. Uh, you do want that. You do want to get a good kayak seat or something and put in that canoe or mm-hmm. canoe seat. I, I love a kayak seat because it's a wrap around seat. The adjustments are right on your side, and and I actually like to pull mine really tight. I like to sit straight up and down when I'm in a when I'm in that canoe. It gives me the most uh, balance when I'm dead center and straight up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything seems to to work better, flow better. I'm faster. I'm 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 more. I'm I'm able to. I got a little more lean room with it. Uh, it doesn't seem to draft left or right on me as bad if I'm dead center and setting up straight, you know. So that's you know that's kind of what I've learned from from that is get you a good seat. It keeps the your back from hurting bad. It keeps and I've got a bad back. It keeps your your knees. You can get those knees out. And a lot of times if I'm in open water, I'll just put my feet up on the two outside edges of it and just get up. I'm almost like sitting in a recliner. Mm-hmm. And I like to use two different kind of paddles. Um, and that you know carrying two paddles this this is you know it, it works well but i love a kayak paddle if i'm in any type of open water you want a long kayak paddle and if i'm in the timber i want i like a long wooden paddle i like a, an old solid wooden paddle a long wooden paddle and that thing you can push well with it it's quiet it doesn't have the, the aluminum paddles have a real they've got that old dean sound mm-hmm. to them mm-hmm. that wooden paddle doesn't flex I outrun all my buddies, and it ain't because I'm in better shape or I paddle faster. My paddle, my paddle doesn't flex. It's like a stainless steel prop. My paddle, I'm getting every every bit of the 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 stroke that I'm pushing is is momentum going forward. Mm-hmm. None of, none of the resistance is lost in my plastic paddle bowing or anything like that. So um, I'm I'm real big on a good solid wood paddle. Yeah, and I know that that's one thing that you're passionate about is you know having those two paddles, like you said, keeping that. Uh, you know, I, I see you keep the uh, the long kayak paddle that, you, you know, you use for different reasons, whether you're pushing off bank, you know, open water, whatever, and then that wooden paddle, which I think is smart because yep. a lot of guys, I don't think they, they think about that. I don't think they, you know, they're thinking, especially if they're doing a solo trip. I think if you're doing a solo trip, you definitely need to have two paddles just in case you do yeah. drop one or whatever happens, you know, you got a backup, uh, you got a spare. But uh, that's oh. something that's fantastic. I, I like, again, those, those single, again, guys, I have not used one, but those single man canoes are sweet looking i mean and again like 40 50 pounds i mean you could car top yeah. it you could throw in the back of the truck i mean oh man i don't, no. I don't think you could beat it put you up put you up uh, we take a, we put a rope on the front put a rope on the front about three foot long and cut us a piece of pvc pipe wrap it in a piece of foam uh, and tape and put on the front as a handle to drag them and man you come to a ridge you can drag that thing you can drag that thing 100 yards uh without any problem as long as it's not mud as long as it's leaves leaves or an inch of water that thing just drags so easy with your equipment in it and you can your equipment you set your stand right behind you and strap it down right behind you dead center of the dead center on top of everything and strap it down put your bow and stuff under the front <clears throat> as far forward as you can and strap it down and man you can just everything's balanced well it works well you, you want to make sure you strap that strap that stand real well because what you don't want is for you to lean or something and that stand slip with you and get to one side it's going to cause you to get wet yeah. um and and you know it's it's i don't wear a uh i do not wear my life jacket unless i'm in swift water but and, and you should i don't but i i do strap my i strap my life jacket around my ankle i tighten it down strap it around my ankle and if i fall out of that canoe that, that life jacket is right there. It's, it's easy for me to reach down and, 
and pop that loose and or you know i've got the straps long enough that it actually is going to float up and i can grab a hold of it hold on to it uh till i can get to a you know a log a tree a branch or whatever's around me now if i get in any type of swift water running water or something like that i go ahead and put it on mm-hmm. um now but i don't wear it yeah yeah no, and i understand that uh no that's that's another good point for saddle hunting, having a saddle with you, you know, you don't have all that metal banging around and get no weight. You can wear it in while you're, while you're going, so you don't have to worry about that weight shifting. Because I know we had a we did a float trip, me and Andrew, in Tennessee this year, and we carry we had two stands with us, two sets of sticks. Uh, we had shoot, what else we have? Camera gear, two backpacks, all of the stuff for a whole day. We were floating down a river, and that river was about six feet, five six feet high. Had some rapids in it, and uh, oh man, let's just say. Had a little weight shift uh, the first twenty feet in the boat, and uh, that scared the absolute hell out of us. So yeah, that's, yeah it, ain't, it ain't nothing to wake you up quite like a quite like a canoe about tipping or, <laughs> or anything like that, you know, or oh. about falling up the deer stand or anything, you know. I yeah. guess not everywhere a harness. And last couple of years, I've gotten old and gotten clumsy, and and be standing up there and and just whatever wind blow a little bit or just you get a little shifty, and boy, you go to fall. And, and you're sitting up there tired and sleepy, and all of a sudden you're wide. It's almost like wrecking your truck when you're a teenager, and you, you stayed awake way too long, and you're headed home, and, and you, you wake up, and you're halfway in the ditch, and you're not sleepy anymore. Yeah, exactly. Now, you get that adrenaline going. I know when we almost flipped that canoe about four times and at about 2 a.m., air temperature was 22 degrees, and the water was not much warmer. And uh, I, by God, you know, I woke up very quickly. My adrenaline was going, and, uh, yeah, it put me on edge. Yeah. But um, that's awesome. Well, Richard, to kind of wrap this up, you know, this is a you know a pretty long buck report, which you know we're kind of doing this like a short episode with you. But you know, is there anything you would recommend? Any kind of last minute advice for somebody going into you know January? Also, if they're going to be hunting in February, uh, any, would you give any guys any advice about you know staying positive and get out there and go get go get a good deer? Man, absolutely. Um, I, I kill a lot of good deer in January. I was on some really good deer late last year in January. Now, your deer are starting to, you know, and they change different yearly. They're starting to drop horns in a lot of places. And you guys that are in places where they're dropping horns, man, there ain't nothing you can do about it. Uh, pack up and go south. I mean, that's the only thing that you can do if you still want to hunt and, and be around deer. Our deer are, our, our deer are starting to group up. Um, we're starting to see a lot of our two- and three-year-olds running together. Our year-and-a-half and two-year-olds are running together a lot now. And that makes it harder to hunt because you're, you're – you may see, you may go one day and see four deer, and you may you may see forty. Um, and because now instead of hunting a bunch of deer, you're hunting a small group of deer, which almost makes it like hunting one deer. But food sources become so much more um, important to deer now because they're getting less and less. It's getting colder, and we just we haven't had any cold weather. And late season. That's a, a big key. I mean, freezing cold weather really, really, really helps, and we just haven't had any of it. Now, we may get some. We got some late January last year, and actually, uh, my work, when we get snow and ice, we don't work. So I, I got to hunt a solid week in the snow last year and, and saw some really good deer. But stay on your food sources. Um, right now, the deer are still trying to chase yearlings, and they're going to, up, you know, anywhere from pretty much central Arkansas south, um, your deer are still, there's still a rut going on. I mean, these deer, my buddy's deer, he killed over that 150 was, was behind a yearling doe. He seen it two days, he saw the deer two days earlier behind a yearling doe. Now, whether it was the same yearling or not, we don't know. But, I mean, 
you know, hunt those does. I mean, still do the same thing. The does are going to the the places that there, there's food. The bucks are going to the places that there are food. And the bucks are also still, especially the immature bucks, they're also still looking for those yearling deer. So they're going to those places. Now, I'm not a trail hunter. But this time of year, a trail becomes a little more important because you get a really used doe trail. And, man, typically where I'm from, where I hunt bucks, I, I very seldom see a buck on a, on a beat-down trail. He's going to be off in a thicket to one side or the other of it, still going to the same place, but he ain't on that trail unless he's chasing a doe. If he's behind a yearling doe, and yearlings are notorious for running a trail. And if you see, if you see a, a buck behind a, a yearling doe and they run a trail, you've got a really, really good shot of killing that deer on that trail um, again, whether it be that day or the next day until that, until he breeds that, that yearling, there's a very good chance that, that yearling's going to bring him right back by you. Mm-hmm. Um, William's deer was pretty much within five minutes of, of each other and it was on the, on, on a deer trail. And <clears throat> that's something that you can, you know, look at. I wouldn't spend a lot of time on a deer trail unless I've seen a, a, a yearling that was coming in and a buck was chasing her. I'd, I'd stay, if you're trying, now, Man, everything I say, and I, I need to, we need to preference this. Everything I say is is meat chasing mature bucks. I'm fixing to shift over and, and start shooting my does. And for the guys that are just trying to kill deer, man, go get on the go get on the downwind side of a big beat down trail and and, and shoot you a doe. Um, you know, go get in any food source and get on that downwind side and shoot you a doe. Be positive. Go shoot them. Don't let anybody. You know that old adage. And this is going to make a lot of people mad. And a lot of people argue with me, and that's just how it is. A lot of people hate me. You, it doesn't matter. You know, kill your does. If you've got four tags, we got four tags, four doe tags. Kill them. However many you've got, if you want to kill them, kill them. If you're going to eat them, eat them. It doesn't matter whether you kill a doe in February or a doe in October. You killed a doe deer that was going to have offspring. Don't let anybody tell you that killing a deer in January, a doe deer in January affects the deer herd. It is absolutely, positively no difference in killing one in October. Uh, it's the exact same thing. And it, I don't understand how people don't see that. I mean, killing a doe deer is killing a doe deer, and there's plenty of them out there. Um, I say that. I think I think our Arkansas limits are too high, and they need to lower them and all of that. But if, if you've got tags and you want to use them, you're going to eat your deer, use them. Don't let anybody tell you tell you that, you know, it, it, it's detrimental to the deer herd if you kill it in January versus October. I wait till cold season to kill my does. I always do. I'm going to kill them because we eat them, but I always wait till it gets cold, and I'm pretty much done. It doesn't. It almost doesn't matter to me when I'm chasing. When I'm deer hunting, I'm chasing a buck. And mm-hmm. until I kill my bucks, or until I decide, okay, I'm 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 about done, I go kill my does. Um, I just can't shoot a doe while I'm buck hunting. It just yeah, every time I pick my bow up to do it, I think, man, sure as I do, you know, there's going to be too many experiences of shooting a doe and there being a big buck or being a buck, you know, behind them. And so I don't do that. But. <sighs> absolutely don't give up i mean it there's there's i see a lot more deer this time of year than i do in early season for sure um you can see farther for one sign shows up a lot better for two because it's 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 wet typically Mm -hmm. and the deer get congregated it's just a matter of learning where they're at you know what are they eating and, and go get on that um and now a lot of people are getting out of the woods so you have the woods more to yourself uh you, you have to deal with rabbit hunters. You have to deal with dog hunters and that kind of stuff. A buddy of mine, a real good friend of mine, Clifton Denny, I don't know if he's actually on the running gun page or not. Um, he's, a, he's a super young bow hunter coming up. Uh, he's a military guy, great friend of mine. 
and me and him ragging. Me and him actually have a, we have a really good bet going this year about who's going to kill the two biggest deer in Arkansas. And I've actually got him by ten inches right now. Um, but we, uh, me and him, real competitive with each other, love each other to death, and, and he's a he's a deer killing machine. He's a buck killing machine. And but he made a post about uh, dogs. He had some dogs come through a thicket, and it's a great post about he he was actually looking at a buck deer bedded down when these dogs come through and the hunters come through and all that. And and I'm going to find that post and share it to your page. It is something that every public land deer hunter needs to watch because he is spot on with it and and he, he just everybody needs to remember when they watch it he watched this happen you know he didn't hear say it ain't nothing like that he watched it happen and it it'll change it it'll change a lot of people's perspective on on you know squirrel hunters and stuff like that rabbit hunters because we do have a lot of those out there right now and you should not let them ruin your hunt yeah, exactly, and especially on public land, you know, it's public yeah. land for a reason. You're we're it's we're all you know allowed to use it. So you know, if someone you know squirrel hunting in your area, you know, don't get upset. I've seen too many bad videos of deer hunters absolutely tearing in, threatening squirrel hunters or rabbit hunters, whatever, just because they're using the same property. You know, it's all public land. So you know that that's not the right way to look at it. You know, and I, I've seen situations which I, again I've not seen this post or this video, but I've seen situations. You know, dog hunters get pushed through, and, and a, a big buck. He'll either circle or he'll just stay bedded if the, deer, if the dogs didn't push him and then, you know, get out to move later. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that. So, it, it you know, it can work both ways for you. Um, but, again, yes, something, you know, don't get upset if someone runs a dog with, you know, by you uh, in, in any situation. Yeah, the, um, yeah, that's what, I'll, I'll share that post because it's really good. But, yeah, um, man, our buck report, you know, we didn't, I don't know that we ever really did that. Our bucks are starting to group up. Uh, some of the bucks up in the northern part of the state are starting to lose horns. Uh, the guy that owns my company actually has a place up north central, and he's, he found some sheds off of some fresh deer this year while he was up there uh, this past weekend. Uh, our deer are starting to group up. They are still chasing yearlings, and, and they will continue all the way through January. Um, chase them. You, you don't ever know what day you're going to see one. And a lot of times there will be five, six, seven bucks chasing a yearling now because one, the bucks are grouping up, so when one finds them, five or six finds them, but two, um, there's very little estrus in the air, and I think bucks go to that commotion now. Um, calling, everybody always always asks me about calling. I'm, I'm tapering way down. I'm not having the response anymore, um, and it's not that I, I'm not scaring any deer with my calling. I'm just not having a response to it, so I pretty much put my horns down. I told myself Tuesday was going to be my last day. If I didn't have a response Tuesday, I was putting them down for the year. I'll always have my grunt call with me, and I'll always blow that grunt call some. But I'm not a, a bleak guy, but I don't know that this time of the year, I was kind of thinking about that. Um, I don't know that this time of the year, a doe bleak wouldn't be a real good thing because your, your yearlings bleak. Um, they don't really know. I think a yearling deer really doesn't know. They don't understand what's going on with, the first year they come into estrus and why this big ass buck's trying to get on them um you know why is this big thing trying to jump on me so they run yep. you know and, and i i don't know if i shared this to y'all page or not i was talking about the rut the stages of the rut and how long the rut lasted and that big bucks don't you, you very seldom see a big duck a big buck run a mature doe a mature buck don't run a mature doe because a mature buck knows when a doe is in estrus and i'm a, an in estrus mature doe will not run from a buck so they're just walking 
of that yearling has no idea why this big buck is trying to get on top of her. And she's running because she's scared to death. And, you know, I don't even know at what point she decides that, okay, I'm going to stop and, and let him do his thing so he'll quit chasing me. Maybe when she gets tired. I don't know. But I think that's why you see the commotion with the uh, with the yearling deer. Late in the year, you see a lot more running. You see a lot more multiple deer chasing, bucks chasing does. And it's a really fun time to be out there. I mean, I really enjoy it. Now, everybody, you know, I'm tired. I'm wore down because it's been a long grinding season. But, I, you know, I still love it. And, and this saddle has kind of renewed some of my fire. I really want to try this saddle out. So um, I'm really looking forward to the weekend. And I've kind of told myself now I'm fixing to shoot the next the next mature, <clears throat> the next four-year-old buck or better that I get a shot at. I'm fixing to go ahead and shoot now. Um, and, and my verdicts is fixing to be in. And I'm going to get dialed in with it. And I'm going to go kill my four does with my verdicts. Um, I'm still shooting crossbow. I don't know if, if anybody knows, but I mean, I'm still shooting it. Um, I think I'm fine. I just, I just, I hadn't got my verdicts in yet. Um, as soon as it gets in, I think I'm gonna be able to shoot it fine. I've been playing with a, a compound some, and I'm, I'm able to pull it. Everything feels good. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fired up about that. I'm fired up about getting out there and killing my four does with that. And, and if I don't kill a buck between now and then with that crossbow, then I'm still gonna be trying to kill. I'm still gonna try to kill a buck with that verdicts. But um, that's kind of what our bucks are doing. They're still, they're still kind of, you know, running around. We're seeing scrapes here and there show back up. Uh, scrape hunting becomes good again. Get out there and get on. If you see a fresh scrape right now, it's a great place to, to hang around because they, they're around food sources. They, you know, that's where the bucks are hanging out. Um, if, if the bucks aren't getting to your food source or the deer aren't getting to your food source until after dark, um, start easing back down it just a little bit, but be careful. You know, give them don't 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 get too far at a time because them deer typically aren't bedded too far away. Um, the deer are traveling a long ways to these beans or was they've all moved up closer to them now. They're not you know they're all a lot closer to the beans now, which waters pushed them there. But um, just be cautious getting back towards your bedding areas because spooking deer right now is a bad bad thing. You'll make them nocturnal quick. They've been pressured for, what, three months now? Um, and so they're not going to take much, but the woods are starting to die down. Try to get out there and hunt midweek. I mean, if you if you got any time off left or you can trade some days out, get out there. These public land guys, get out there and hunt uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That's by far your better times because you got way less pressure out there. Yeah, and I 100% agree with that. I mean, that's one thing I try to do as much as I can. You know, if I'm, if I'm not, you know, swamped at work just because I, I travel a lot and, you know, going to see a bunch of different customers. So it's sometimes hard to get out during the week. But, man, that is that is the greatest time to be out there, especially as a, you know, public land hunter. You can get out midweek. A lot of times, you know, you might see a truck or two maybe, if not anything. But I know, you know, late season there's a lot of guys that have pretty much hung it up and they're either duck hunting or they're just, they're just relaxing at, you know, whatever they've killed or haven't killed. So you have a lot less pressure this time of the year, even though these deer are, you know, highly educated after being, you know, pressured the whole year. I mean, it's, it's going to be, if you, to me, if you can kill a deer late season on public land, that's really doing something. After they've been chased all year long, you know, they know, they know, you know, the game, they know what's going on. If you can trick one, you can get one late season, especially trying to sneak it into a food source or something like that. I think that's, uh, that's really doing something for sure. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, now, with that all being said, Richard, man, we appreciate it. I know this episode went pretty long. 
and I appreciate your time for you know being able to to spend as much time with me as you have tonight. Uh, and I hope everyone has really enjoyed this. You know, it's a little bit different what we've normally done with the Buck reports. So hopefully everybody's enjoyed it, got a lot out of it, especially any of our guys. You know, whether you are in Arkansas, you know, Alabama, you know, lower Alabama, hunting these big river bottoms, Mississippi, Louisiana, you know, some of uh, Missouri. You know, if, if you are hunting these big river bottoms or South Florida or South uh, Georgia as well, you know, hopefully y'all have gotten a lot of stuff out of what Richards talked about and can kind of apply that in your later season, especially if these seasons are still open in some of these states, guys. So hopefully you can apply a lot of that and have some fun and have some uh, have some success, but. Other than that, Richard, man, we appreciate it, dude. Hopefully you get that Vertex bow and you can get that circuit dialed in, ready to go, and get out there and kill you an awesome deer and get your uh, your team some more points for the rest of the year. Yeah, I gotta, we got to step up. We're uh, we're losing. We're way behind. We're getting our – got five or six teams that, that's ahead of us pretty good. We're getting our butts kicked. But we're late, we're late season rallyers anyways. My whole team's kind of the same way I am. We get, to, we get kind of caught up in chasing mature bucks, and then we'll – that last two weeks, we'll decide. Okay, hey, we gotta we gotta try to make a show in here, and we'll run out and kill our deer. So it's uh, and if we lose, I've, I've won it every year, been on a winning team every year. So it's time to lose one, and, and <laughs> this is gonna be our last one. It's they're they're real hard to run, and there's a there's a lot of negative feedback to them that that we catch from from people saying that we're causing people to shoot deer they wouldn't normally shoot, and there's some truth to that, or we're causing people to kill more deer than they normally would, and there's some truth to that. So this is actually going to be the last year I actually run a, a TNU team challenge. And uh, we may do something a little different where we don't kill as many deer or we do all mature deer or something, but it uh, won't be anything kind of like we've been doing. So we're, um, I'd, I'd like to win this last one, but if I don't, it ain't, <laughs> that ain't no big deal either. And like I said, guys, I'm not discouraged at all. Um, I feel like, which I, you know, I'm just that guy. I'm that confident about, I'm that confident in my hunting and, and, I'm that confident that, you know, I feel like every every morning when I get up or every afternoon when I head out to the woods that, hey, today's the day. And, you know, if I get a deer in bow range, I don't care what it is. If I get a deer in bow range, it was a successful day and, I was, and I'm happy. Um, or even if I see deer, you know, it was success. Now, if I don't see no deer, I, I, I personally feel like I failed. And I think that's what drives me to to hunt is, is <clears throat> I'm not saying I hunt harder than other people, but to uh, kind of hone what I know now uh, that's what honed that you know I had to figure out why I wasn't seeing deer and other people were uh, and there's always that guy there's always a guy that catches fish and there's always that guy that kills deer and that guy's not lucky that guy he knows something and you better pay attention to that guy because I've learned more from from and I learned a ton from both pages uh, just stuff that little tricks of the trade and things that uh, the guy a Holman guy uh, yeah, Jeff I think that's Holman. somebody that I'd really like to read some of his stuff Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we had an episode with him a couple weeks ago, and it was a great episode as well. Just because he he is very similar to how you hunt, but he's applying it in the kind of the lower hill country and swamps of Alabama in in mix of hardwoods and pines. And he's kind of using a different aspect of, you know, he focuses hardcore on food sources, but, you know, really using, you know, different habitat types to really pin down where these deer are coming through. And he's had phenomenal success. I mean, he's killed – Two mature bucks this year, or uh, at least one of them was mature. I don't know if he's aged the other buck yet. And then he killed a phenomenal buck last year, right at 140, 141 officially scored, uh, eight point out there. And so, I mean, 
dude knows what he's doing. I mean, you definitely know what you're doing. So definitely, I think if y'all two met up or something, oh man, it'd be a there might be some atoms split. It'd be it'd be awesome. What? You know, he, he also thinks it's rain changes, and that's something I, I very seldom touch on, and I should. I do the same thing. The the places that I look for those food sources, I try to hunt the food sources in some type of of terrain change edges. Deer love edges, <clears throat> and when we talk about thickets. A lot of people don't really understand what we're talking about. You may be in a wide open spot of woods, and people are like, "Well, how do you how do you know where that deer's going to walk in these wide open woods?" A lot of the woods we hunt are wide open. Well, if you'll get down on the ground and look across those woods, somewhere there's something that is thicker. There's something that breaks the outline. There's something out there, and them deer will almost always walk that. You know, it may just be one different one way a set of trees layer, one way. The, the sunlight hits and the vegetation has grown, but there's always something out there that, that hides the other side, and that's just where they walk, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you, a person can, just like he said uh, in that post he was talking today, you can definitely use that aspect of, of hunting and apply it in both ways. Uh, deer love edges, whether it's the edge of a field, it's the edge of a, a thicket, it's the edge of a swamp, it's the edge of, of uh, an old food plot. Uh, it's where two different types of timber change. Deer love edges, and and edges is a big thing. And that you know, I, I post every year about hunting edges, and it's a it's one thing that it works. I mean, you, deer are going to run edges; they're, mm-hmm. they're going to do it. And if you can if you can take that edge and put a food source in that edge, will you just you know. Put, put a food source in a edge, put the right moon in the right weather conditions, and, man, it's, it's phenomenal. I 100% agree with that. Well, once again, Richard, man, we appreciate you coming on, brother. Well, we'll definitely have to have you on uh, sometime in the off season. try to work you in uh, with a cool topic or something like that. Hopefully maybe see how you like the uh, the saddle. The saddle. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll do that. We'll do that. And, the, like I said, the only thing that worries me at all really about the saddle is going to be a damaged nerve. I've got a damaged nerve, and – if it doesn't, I can't sleep. Sleeping, uh, laying down, for whatever reason, laying down really affects my leg. Um, and if that saddle doesn't pinch that nerve up and cause cause me pain, I just, man, because I'm not scared of hanging off side of a tree. Uh, you know, I'm not scared of heights. Uh, I, I definitely can see how, I, I don't think I'm going to struggle with the shot angles or anything like that. So I think as long as it doesn't cause me pain, I think y'all turn me on to something that uh, it's going to be very, very, beneficial in my hunting um i can see a, i can see a couple of big deers dying because the places i actually ain't been able to hunt with a with a, walk, a climbing stand i've got access to now mm-hmm. exactly well that's the whole point we're using so that's awesome well richard we'll definitely do a follow-up with that try to get you uh in maybe the end of y'all season uh, before turkey season comes in and kind of see what your thoughts are on the saddle whether or not you did enjoy it if you did you know what you've gotten uh to use after that and kind of go from there so once again, Richard, we appreciate you coming on, brother, and I uh, hope you have a great rest of your season. Hopefully you can tag out, brother. Anytime, Jacob. Thank y'all. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here, and you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise, and I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you 
need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast. This show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And guys, we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should I get? Which tree stand should I get? What about this piece of gear? What about that piece of gear? How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.